The following is a chapter reading of Pokemon, The Origin of Species by Daystar Eld. Please support the original author at daystareld.com. Chapter 7. Optimism Bias The training house's practice rooms are far fancier than the ones at Pallet Labs. Red passes by room after empty room, each different than the last. He's curious to know if anyone else is up this late, and eventually finds one that is occupied. He stops in front of the glass door to watch. A young woman with auburn hair is using a pair of flags to direct her butterfree, running around it to stay in front of its line of sight as it performs various aerial maneuvers. Training Pokemon to respond to nonverbal cues has its advantages and disadvantages, and is largely a practice of competitive trainers. Wild Pokemon aren't likely to get tipped off by shouted orders, after all. Red watches as the woman twirls her left flag once, and the Butterfree releases a cloud of green powder. The trainer leaps safely out of the way as the Butterfree flaps its wings, a gust of wind blowing the powder forward to envelop a wooden polka doll shaped like a slash dash. Red moves on, examining each room until he finds one with the symbols of fan and fire over it. He enters a long rectangular room, its acoustics changing as the door slides back closed. Fire extinguishers are placed at each corner, and the floor and walls are made of a light, gray, pitted stone. Looking up, he sees a sprinkler system and air vents ready to respond to any emergencies. They should do nicely. Red takes out his Pokedex and a clicker from his pack. Part of the training process is to associate a behavior with a conditioned reinforcer, the way Leaf had with Pokepuffs. Instead of having to use Pokepuffs all the time, though, Red wants to try out a feature of the Pokedex. He quickly navigates to the right screen and says, Pokedex, establish audio reinforcement. Acknowledged. Record audio reinforcement when light turns green. Then press done. Red smiles. The voice of the Pokedex is Daisy's. It's somewhat disguised by a digital filter, but the cadence of certain words gives it away to those that know her. As soon as a light beside the screen turns green, Red uses his clicker, emitting a sharp, loud <coughs> upon press and depress of the button. Then he taps done on the Pokedex screen. Audio reinforcement confirmed. It repeats the sound. Save. Audio reinforcement saved. Upload virtual training? Yes. Red puts the clicker away and unclips Charmander's Pokeball, aligning the lens with the Pokedex's upload. Uploading. Upload complete. Please wait 4 minutes and 17 seconds for virtual regimen to integrate. Remember to periodically reinforce association in tangible space before hands-on training. Red takes note of the time then reclips the Pokeball and repeats the process with his Rattata. Setting up a basic positive reinforcement like this should make it much easier to train his Pokemon. The sound of the click will be associated with reward, but just hearing it will trigger a release of dopamine. And he's going to need all the help he can get. While looking up Charmander's basic techniques in the Pokedex, one particular had drawn his attention. Smokescreen. When threatened by large foes, Charmander can alter the fuel for their tail flame to produce a copious amount of thick smog. While the mild exposure is not toxic, this smoke irritates the eyes and sinuses and helps Charmander stay hidden. Charmander are especially prone to emitting smoke if threatened at night, when a tail flame makes it particularly hard to hide. Training such a specific automatic response in bright lights won't be easy, but the potential benefits are enormous. Smoke could be used not just to hide in and avoid attacks, but also to coordinate ambushes, herd wild Pokemon, and even set limit zones of control on the battlefield. As he waits for Charmander's virtual training to be done, he takes out his notebook and scribbles down thoughts on cooperative tactics to try out with the others. 
Blue and Leaf's Pidgey could use gusts of wind to send smoke in the direction needed, the way that trainer's Butterfree had with its poison powder. The smoke would block out Squirrel's line of sight if used carelessly, but Bulbasaur could use his vines to drag enemies into it. They could even use it to switch Pokemon without the opponent being aware. Red eventually checks the time and gives it another 30 seconds just to be safe. Then he puts his notebook away and unclips Charmander's Pokeball. He cocks his arm back, then throws it, his voice echoing as he says, Charmander, go! The ball reaches the open space in the middle of the room, and releases his Pokemon in a flash before flying back. Red reaches for it, but the angle of the throw is a bit off, and he has to jump to try to catch it when it returns at an awkward angle. He knocks it upwards, then tries to catch it as it falls, fingers closing a fraction of a second too late. The ball bounces off his palm and across the floor with a metal. Charmander watches the ball roll by, then ignores it as it halts at the wall. He chirps and approaches as Red kneels down to pick up the Pokeball, and Red rubs the lizard's warm, leathery head. Hey there, buddy. We're gonna try and learn something new tonight, okay? Charmander looks up at him and chirps again. Red smiles, wishing for a moment he could communicate with his Pokemon intelligently. Charmander looks up at him and chirps again. Red smiles, wishing for a moment he could communicate with his Pokemon intelligently. When he was younger, he and Blue used to watch cartoons where the Pokemon could talk to each other and understood human speech directly, even if most couldn't duplicate it. It was amusing enough, if obviously for young kids. As he got older, it became clear that the premise wasn't particularly well thought out. Least perspective would have a lot more weight behind it, in Red's mind, if Pokemon were sapient enough for complex communication. Putting them in Pokeballs would be a lot more morally ambiguous, for one thing. And for another, if Pokemon were sapient, working out a peaceful coexistence would be much more attainable without resorting to hunting and capturing them. Barring such an idealistic fantasy, though, it sure would be useful to have some latent psychic powers manifest right about now. Red meets Charmander's gaze and concentrates. Raise your left arm. Raise your left arm, Charmander. He imagines the sensation of raising his arm, willing Charmander to pick up on it through a mysterious bond that everyone romanticizes. Charmander's gaze is locked on his, whole body completely still. Raise your arm. Come on, raise your arm. Red's own arm twitches as he focuses so hard on the muscle memory, feeling lost in the depth of his Pokemon's gaze. Raise your arm. Come on, just a little. Charmander blinks slowly, then wags his tail a bit and chirps, rubbing against Red's palm. Worth a shot, Red mutters, and stands. He'd just make do the old-fashioned way. Red had never met a psychic, but whatever advantages their powers might grant them, the beauty of Pokemon training from its ancient crude form to refined science it is today is that it's accessible to everyone. If it were something that only certain people could do, humanity would never have thrived in such a dangerous world. Society would have been stuck in feudal dynamics, where the majority were ruled by the whims of the few who could control the monsters in the wild and keep the rest of them safe. Now, science and technology have leveled the playing field. Some people have a natural advantages over others, but in today's world, anyone can learn the methodology, refine their skills, and harness the power of their own Pokémon. Professor Oak raised a dozen of his own Pokémons by Red Age, and by developing the Pokédex, revolutionized the relationship between the practical knowledge and cutting-edge research, allowing both scientists and trainers to share information and help each other day to day. Elite Agatha was the first trainer who didn't keep their mysterious affinity with ghost-type Pokémon secretive, and she opened a school at the age of 13 to help teach others how to deal and train them even without psychic powers. The leader Giovanni rose at the head of his gym when he was just a few years older than Red, and used his position and status to help set up society's trainers' programs, so everyone has a chance to make their own way. Limited only by their intelligence, imagination, and will, people and their Pokémon are capable of extraordinary things together.
And if they're smart and dedicated enough, even a child can change the world. Red tugs the bill of his cap securely down. Time to get started. He takes out his Pokepuffs and unwraps it, then takes his clicker back out. Watching Charmander, he points at a section of the stone ground and says, Ember! As soon as Charmander whips his tail around and releases some oil, Red presses a button, and the distinct is heard. His Pokemon attention sharpens, and Red feeds him a bit of Pokepuff. Good boy. After Charmander finishes, Red does it again and again. Each time he feeds the Charmander some puff, it reinforces the association between the click and the reward, tying the two together so that just hearing the click is enough to signal satisfaction and pleasure. After the puff is gone, Red goes to the end of the room and opens a closet in the wall. Inside are a number of training supplies, and he lifts out a large Rhydon polka doll with both arms. It's made of the same flame-retardant foam as the one from the morning's training, and weighs about as much as his backpack. He brings it over to the left side of the door and sets it down in front of Charmander, who immediately becomes alert. Red steps behind the Pokemon as Charmander's tail blazes, and the Fire Lizard watches the sudden threat warily, claws extended. Red gets an Arcanine Pokedoll and puts it to the right side of the door, using his body to hide it from Charmander as he walks past him. When he puts it down, Charmander suddenly chirps in alarm, and Red jumps back as his Pokemon rushes forward to defend him, flicking some fire at the news threat. Stop! Charmander goes still, and Red immediately clicks again. Red's Pokemon growls at the too large Samulcrum, but stays his fire. Good job, Charmander. Now, smokescreen. Smokescreen, Charmander. Red's finger hovers over the clicker button, waiting, waiting. Smokescreen. 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 No smoke comes. Any second now, Charmander, Red mutters, and his Pokemon head twitches. Red chides himself for confusing him, and wonders how long he should wait. He wants behavior to be associated with the word. Just repeating smokescreen over and over is feeling a bit foolish. Red studies Charmander's aggressive stance. Smokescreen. Charmander, smokescreen. Charmander twitches, as if it's ready to act, but does nothing. Still watching the threats and growling. Ah. Red grins. His Pokemon is too brave to be scared. Red slowly steps backwards so Charmander doesn't notice him leaving. When he reaches the closet, he turns and grabs the third Pokedoll. This one's a wide, round Graveler. He places it behind Charmander so the Fire Lizard is surrounded by Arcanine, Graveler, and Rhydon Simulcrum. His Pokemon is too fixated on the first two threats to realize he's been surrounded, but once Red steps up behind him, the Charmander repositions himself and sees it in his peripheral vision. Charmander chirps an alarm, then frantically, first one way, then the other, attempting to keep all threats in sight. When he realizes he can't, aggression turns to fear. Red watches the Fire Lizard curl inward and begin to tremble, and feels a pang in his chest. He's about to reassure his Pokemon that everything's okay, but Charmander needs to feel threatened to emit smoke. Red crouches beside him and begins to tremble as well, breathing quickly so his heart speeds up. Smokescreen! Smokescreen, Charmander! Smokescreen! 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 Charmander continues to tremble, eyes darting around as the large figure is looming over them. When he glances at Red again and sees his trainer curled up beside him, he begins to tremble harder, and with Red still repeating, Smokescreen! It happens. The fire at the end of his tail becomes a bit dimmer, and the black smoke begins to billow out. The second he sees it, Red presses the clicker. Charmander's head rises, and Red rubs his head. Good boy! <laughs> he coughs as the smoke continues to come out, thick and heavy. It quickly blankets the area, makes it hard to see. Charmander, stop! Charmander goes still, but the smoke keeps coming out. Uh-oh. Red picks Charmander up and walks around, 
trailing the oily smoke from Charmander's tail. He says, stop, every few seconds, checking to see if Charmander's tail stops emitting smoke. Even outside of the main cloud, Red's nose wrinkles when he inhales. He suddenly can see how the acrid stench would work as a deterrent, and suddenly realizes his clothing is going to need a thorough washing. Eventually, the polka doll are all almost completely obscured, and when Red says stop again, the smoke suddenly cuts off. Red presses the clicker. Good job, Charmander! His eyes water, and he resists the urge to grub at them, peering around the sick smoke. That was fast! Red walks over to the fan control and puts Charmander down. The thick smog combined with his watering eyes makes it hard to see, and Red feels along the walls with his eyes closed, navigating to the button by memory. One, two, three, four. The fans rev to life and begin sucking up the smog. Red's clothing and hair whips about, and Charmander gives an alarmed, Arr! as his protective cover is quickly drawn away. The fans rev to life and begin sucking up the smog. Red's clothing and hair whips about, and Charmander gives an alarmed, Arr! as his protective cover is quickly drawn away. Charmander tenses as he watches the three polka dolls slowly come back into view. Red puts his finger over the clicker button, waiting. Charmander, smokescreen. Smokescreen, smokescreen. Good boy. Red watches the smog rise, thin and long as the fans immediately suck it away. How long can he keep that up? Stop, Charmander. Charmander glances at him, but then turns back to the polka doll, growling quietly. Red wonders if the sound of the fans are distracting his Pokemon, and turns them back off. Unfortunately, that just causes the smoke to quickly obscure Charmander again. Red curses quietly. He needs to be able to tell the moment Charmander feels safe enough to stop producing the smoke, so he can reinforce him stopping. And now the smog is completely surrounding him. Shit! Red crouches down and picks Charmander back up with one arm. The lizard's smooth hide warm to the touch. His Pokemon startles, and pain suddenly lances through Red's side and arm. The lizard's claws have sunk in, mostly stopped by his closed armor mesh, but the tips are still piercing through. Ow! 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 It's, o- it's okay, Trivander. It's, it's just me. Ow! Red walks gingerly forward, ignoring the pain as best he can, and he keeps the smoke and cloud behind him, glancing back and saying, Stop! occasionally to see if Trivander complies. Trivander's tail stops spitting the smoke shortly after they pass the polka dolls, and Red clicks. Good boy! He looks back to see an obscuring cloud of black smoke filling the rest of the room once again. Red sighs and puts Charmander down, wincing as lizards of claws as it his flesh. He can feel the blood trickling down his skin from the pinpricks. Charmander looks at the bloodstains on his sleeve and makes a low crooning sound, stepping closer and licking at one. Oh, hey, it's okay. My fault for making you so scared. The smoke is still spreading towards them, and Red coughs as the foul taste fills the throat. He unclips Charmander's Pokeball and points it at him. <coughs> Return! He croaks. Charmander is hit by the beam, then vanishes in a flash of light. Red reclips the Pokeball and returns to the controls, holding his breath and closing his eyes along the way as he keeps his hand against the wall. Would help if this place was voice activated. He grumbles to himself as he turns the fan back on. Red takes a deep breath as the air clears for a second time, and a sudden dizziness makes him sink down to the floor. Somewhat alarmed, Red takes off his pack and lifts his shirt to examine his injuries, wondering if he's bleeding more than he realized. The wounds don't look so bad, though. He's probably just losing his second wind. Red relaxes and digs out a potion from his bag to disinfect and coagulate the wounds. Some paper towels serve to wipe up the blood, 
Once he feels the tender scabs already forming beneath his fingers, he puts his shirt back on. The steady hum from the fans provide a soothing ambient. Red rests his head against the cool wall to take a deep breath of clean air and considers the training so far. The next step is to test to see whether the click and command will get Charmander to produce smoke in reaction to a less obvious threat. If so, he would reinforce that, and then wean him off the threats altogether until he responds to just the command and the click. And finally, just the command alone. He has to work on the stop command too. Maybe such an internal activity isn't so easy for Charmander to stop on command. And maybe it takes a few seconds for the smoke to stop being produced, even after Charmander responds to the command. A delay like that would make it much harder to judge the progress of the training. Hey, are you alright? Red stamps out of a light doze to see an auburn-haired girl standing in the doorway. He had not heard open over the fans. Hi. Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Just tired. Ah, okay. I was walking by and just saw a sprawled pair of legs. Red smiles. Taking a quick rest. All finished with your Pokemon? Yeah. We're headed to bed. Long day tomorrow. She notices the spots of blood on his shirt. You sure you're okay? Positive. Just scared my Pokemon a bit, that's all. He didn't mean it. She nods. We've all been there. It's something of a rite of passage. It happens all the time when teaching something new. Just be glad it wasn't more serious. Fred remembers the ease which she dodged away from her Pokemon's attack. Wonders how often she'd been too slow. What about you? Were you teaching your Butterfree something new, or just practicing? There's the briefest pause before she says, Just practicing. And Red feels a stab of annoyance. The biggest argument he'd gotten into with Blue had been about competitive trainers' habit of secrecy. Most loathe the shared methodology behind the amazing feats their Pokemon perform, each unique insight or training strategy they reveal being one less advantage against potential rivals. It's partially why they're often looked down on by other trainers, especially academics, and why gym leaders are so respected in contrast for opening their doors to teach what has helped them become so skilled. Sorry, that was rude of me, Red says in the awkward silence. He rubs his eyes, still irritated from the smog. Like I said, I'm a bit tired. She steps into the room and leans against the door as it closes. It's alright. Even at one in the morning, it's silly to expect complete privacy in a place with glass doors. Ah oh shit, it's really that late? Red checks the time himself to see how far off she's rounding from, and he sees it's 1.14am. You have an early morning too? That was the plan. Better head back up then. He considers it. Postponing the training until tomorrow probably wouldn't hurt. They're likely to spend most of it in the city anyway. Eventually, he shakes his head. I want to finish up first. She raises a brow and folds her hand behind her back, resting them. Something big going on tomorrow? Not really. Why the rush, then? Ray considers the question a moment. If I said optimism bias, would you understand what that meant? Not really, she says. I mean, I know what optimism is. I know what a bias is. Red scratches a hair beneath his hat, then takes it off and turns it between his hands as he organizes his thoughts. Okay, well, basically, studies in psychology have shown that people tend to be overly optimistic about things involving themselves. Like what? Like this training I was doing. Part of optimism bias is something called the planning fallacy. Experiments show people usually underestimate the time and cost involved in a task they need to complete and assume the best results. She smiles. I'm a bit guilty of that myself. We all are. Optimism bias affects more than just things we plan for. We also underestimate how dangerous life can be for ourselves. I walked here with a couple of friends from Pallet Town yesterday, and within a few hours we were attacked by a large group of Ratata. The girl's eyes widened a bit. How large? Eight, I think. She whistles. Good thing there were three of you. 
Yeah, I knew that sort of thing could happen, even on the main roads where most dangerous Pokemon have been cleared away or chased off, but still a bit of a shock to experience it, even as our training kicked in. You didn't use any repellent? We didn't think we needed to. The odds of something dangerous happening on our first day out just seemed so unlikely. But if someone asked me whether someone else might have had a dangerous encounter on their first day of traveling, I'd say it doesn't matter if it's the first day or the hundredth. Statistics are statistics. The young woman is quiet for a moment. One hand absently tucks some hair behind her ear as it's displaced by the overhead fans. What about tier three threats? People worry about those all the time, even though the odds of them dying to one are really low compared to some of the more common dangers. Red nods. There are some exceptions mostly because of heuristics that fool our pattern-seeking minds. We don't tend to hear about every person that dies on the road, because it happens fairly often, all things considered, and are quiet tragedies. Region-wide news rarely cover them, unless something unique was involved. Because two or three threats are so rare and visually stunning, and so many people die all at once, yeah, it makes a big impression. Right, and that's doubled by the huge media exposure they get. In general, we just don't consider ourselves subject to the same statistical probabilities everyone else is. If asked, they probably never say something so egotistical. But, by and large, we get worried about the things that likely won't harm us, and it takes careful attention and diligence to consider what likely will. She looks thoughtful. And we spend millions trying to stop Tier 3 threats. It's crazy. We should be spending that money to hire more rangers, get regular patrols from major roads, it would probably save more lives per dollar spent. He sees her cover her mouth as she yawns, which sets off his own, jaw-cracking. Sorry, I didn't mean to start soapboxing. I tend to talk a lot when I'm tired. She's looking at him with a slight frown. How old are you, anyway? I'll be 12 next month. Just started training? He nods. Got my first Pokemon yesterday. Yesterday? You don't sound like most newbies. Less stupid, I hope? She smiles. Less do we add. Stupid's a bit harder to judge. But exhausting yourself to get a bit of extra training in isn't particularly smart. Red grins. Future me might be irritated at present me for not getting enough sleep, but he can sleep in if he really wants to. I'd rather future me be a bit tired and irritated, even with the potential negatives that entails, than risk him being unprepared for a dangerous situation, as past me was. Do you always refer to your future and past selves as different people? Out loud, only when I'm tired, tired, they say together and laugh. Red stretches his arms, then covers a yawn and forces himself to his feet before exhaustion overtakes him completely. Whatever tomorrow brings, I want to be ready for it. Once I've thought of a way to be, I just can't ignore it. Leaving an optimization task unfinished is like leaving a splinter in my toe. It might not bother me constantly, but every time I'm reminded, it'll be just as frustrating as the first time. And if I'm in a situation where I need to run... I'll really regret not just taking it out when I could. She watches him thoughtfully as he gets a crick out of his neck. Well, I guess I'll reserve judgment until we see how well that works for you. She smiles and extends a hand. I'm Amy. Red shakes it. Red, nice to meet you. You do. Good luck with the training, and I hope you get some sleep eventually. He smiles. Me too. Have a good night. She waves and closes the door behind her. Red turns off the fans, and the sudden silence is almost tangible. First things first. Red goes to the supply closet and digs past the remaining polka doll to examine the other supplies. Rope, target posters, water canisters for a spray, a fire suit. There! 
Red pulls a gas mask from his hook and straps it onto his face. It's a clear plastic cover that seals everything from his forehead to his chin and cleanses the air through an air filter on its side. He breathes air expensively through it a few times and takes it off so it dangles from his neck. He considered putting it on before, but didn't want anything that might distort his voice or make it harder for Charmander to recognize commands. Now that he knows just how irritating the smog is, though, it's clearly the lesser of two evils. Choking and coughing don't make his speech particularly clear either. Unfortunately, that's about all that's useful in there, and Red puts two of the polka dolls back in the closet, then leaves the training room to examine the others. The door to the right of his has a symbol of a fist above it, and he enters out of curiosity. The walls are heavily padded, and the floor is a soft mat, firm beneath his feet but absorbent to reduce injury from the falls. He goes to the supply closet and sees more intricate polka doll that swivel when struck to deliver a counterblow, as well as punching bags, fighting gloves, helmets, and body padding. Red returns to the hallway and keeps searching, checking each new type of room to see what they're like. One has a swimming pool in it, another a soft dirt floor. Occasionally, he finds something in their supply rooms that might be handy for training his Charmander or Ratata, but for the moment, there's nothing that suits his needs. Frustrated, he goes to the end of the training rooms and follows the directory to the help desk. A blonde guy that looks to be in his 20s is sitting with his feet propped up, watching a screen. Red glances at it and sees an ongoing Indigo League match. Considering the time, it's probably a recording, but the blonde seems just as riveted. The battling trainers are swapping Pokemon so fast that it's hard to follow what happens. A Rapidash charges at a pincer, which is replaced by a Feral Gator. The Rapidash is withdrawn before a blast of water can hit it, and a blink later, there's an Umbreon in its place that shrugs off the deluge before it sends a pulse of darkness back. Failgator gets swapped out for a Hitmonlee that dashes through the darkness unfazed and leaps forward, foot outstretched. Umbreon vanishes in another flash of light, just as Hitmonlee jumps, and a Pidgeot soars safely out of Hitmonlee's way, then dives as it lands and rakes it with its talons. Excuse me, Red says during the battle's lull as Hitmonlee is withdrawn, a point award the Pidgeot's trainer. Young man grunts, eyes on the screen. I need a mirror. Is one available? Bathroom the blonde says, and points without looking. Red stifles his annoyance. I mean for training. Training supplies are in the closets. And Ferris appears to deal with the Pidgeot, bulbs glowing with an electrical charge. Before it can get a bolt off, the flying type is withdrawn, the flash overlapping with the replacement Pokemon being sent out. By the time the ball rockets back to be caught by its trainer, she has already clipped the Pidgeot's Pokeball to her belt and replaced it with yet another. Regulations vary between regions, but the Indigo League allows no more than 1.6 seconds to pass without having a Pokemon on the field. This trainer had just swapped the Pokemon and prepared a third in less than half of that. Red remembers being awestruck the first time he saw the speed at which professional competitive trainers battle. Making split-second decisions one after the other while trying to predict two steps ahead of their opponents. Differences of philosophy aside, his admiration hasn't faded much since. I know that, but there aren't any in them, Red says, tearing his gaze from the screen. Sorry. The receptionist takes a drink from a soda can. As far as Red can tell, he still hasn't so much as glanced at him. Red feels his exhaustion fading as his blood pressure rises. He takes a deep breath, then lets it out. The cheap desk placard says Mitchell, and he puts on his most friendly but forceful voice. Can you please pause that for a moment, Mitchell? Mitchell sighs and stops the recording before turning to him at last, 
boredom giving away to irritation. What do you want, kid? I told you, the supplies are in the closets. Sorry, I'm a little tired, and this is my first time at the trainer house. Making enemies isn't going to help him, and he doesn't have time to waste if he wants to get any sleep tonight. What match was that? It looked pretty intense. After a moment, Mitchell's frown softens a bit, and he glances at the screen. That was Alicorn's last summer qualifiers from earlier tonight. She's headed to Johto next week. Red vaguely remembers Blue mentioning an Alicorn once or twice. Something about her ability to adapt to strategies on the fly and respond to new information. Red propped his elbows on the counter. Cool. I heard she has great metagame. Mitchell nods. Definitely top percent material. You see your match against Blaine last month? No, I guess I missed that one. Oh man, it was intense. You gotta check that out. Noted. Red glances at the cluttered desk. So you work here all night? When I draw the short straw. Must be boring. Eh, some nights go quicker than others. Mitchell scratches a stubble on his jaw. So, uh, what was it you're looking for again? I need something that will let me see my Pokemon without him seeing me. Hmm. We got one of those observation rooms with a one-way mirror. I prefer being in the same room. Maybe a mirror or something to attach it to the ceiling? Ah, well, I don't think we have anything like that. What do you need it for? Red sighs. I'm training my Charmander to put up a smokescreen on command, but they need to be afraid to do it. I want to trigger it in different ways so that he's used to responding to it during emotions other than feelings of helplessness. So I was thinking of hiding behind a polka doll, throwing the Charmander's ball to the other side of it, then shaking the doll and yelling to surprise him into emitting the smoke, which I'd then reinforce. I can't see him if he's behind the polka doll, so I won't know when to reinforce his behavior. And if I pop my head out to look, he'll see me. So I figure I'll stick a mirror on the roof and use that, since he's not likely to look up. Red sees Mitchell's skeptical look. What? You don't think it'll work? Well, work or not, it's pretty much the most convoluted way to go about it that I can imagine. Why does it matter if he sees you? He's really protective. I think if he sees me behind the polka doll, he does think I'm in danger and attack. Red shrugs. I guess I'll test it just to be sure, since I can't get a mirror. Thanks anyway. Well, hold on there. You won't need a mirror if you do have someone else do the shaking. Red blinks as Mitchell gets up and walks around the counter, placing a Be Right Back sign up. Are you volunteering? Sure. My butt's getting sore anyway. Well, hey, thanks. No prob. It shouldn't take that long. Red frowns. Actually, that's what I thought. But there's an aspect of optimism bias called the planning fallacy that- Yeah, yeah, Mitchell says, already heading towards the training rooms. Come on, let's go stare the smoke out of your Pokemon. Red sighs and follows. Mitchell is clearly looking for an excuse to do something more exciting than sit at his desk. But Red doesn't want to get him in any trouble. It'll be easier with help, he reasons. Another hour at most, an hour and a half maybe. Red feels for his Pokeball's pouch, drawing another sphere out and enlarging it. There, just ahead, between the trees, now! He throws, the ball missing by an inch as the mythical Pokemon makes a sharp turn. He gasps in expiration and exhaustion, pumping his legs harder to keep up as the mysterious creature pulls further ahead. He can't let it get away. Such a rare find has to be studied. He reaches for another ball and throws it, hitting a tree trunk. He tries to run faster, arms pumping at his sides as he leaps over fallen logs and ducks between thorny bushes. Hey, Snorlax! 
You getting up anytime today? Red opens his eyes a crack, momentarily nauseous from disorientation. He shifts his head to squint over his shoulder at Blue's silhouette. His skull feels like it's full of cotton, and his thoughts crawl over each other word one by one until he can comprehend them all together. Time? It's almost eight. Red takes a full second to subtract four from eight to calculate how long he slept. He groans and rolls back over, pulling the blanket over his head. Hey, they're about to serve breakfast in the mess. You don't want any? A quick check of his hierarchy of needs pyramid confirms that sleep is etched in much larger than food at the moment. Maybe later, Red mutters, already drifting back off into his dream. The Pokemon was so close he could almost make it out. Four-legged and blue, or was it purple? Suit yourself. Guess I'll just borrow this hat if you're not using it. Alarm blows Red's dream to fragments. He craned his head over his shoulder again to see Blue walking out with his red and white cap on. Red's hierarchy pyramid pops up again, with hat now overlaid at an angle across every level. Ah! Red tries to pull out of his bed and only succeeds in turning over, his arm making a weak throwing gesture to capture the thieving demon as he walks towards the door. Back! Red wheezes, searching blearily around the bed for a polka doll. I'll save a plate for you. Exhaustion overcomes his outrage, and Red's eyelids slip back down, arm trailing over the bed as he drifts away, his last conscious thought. Damn it, past Red. This has been the chapter reading of Pokemon, The Origin of Species, written by Daystar Eld, read by Mars Oliva. This chapter's original text can be found at daystareld.com. The music used is Goodnight, My Friends by DJ Cutman. <laughs>